another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream and you Hi can folks, holler. this is Jack Spierka with the Survival Podcast As always, one man's view of the changing world the changing economic times and the things that we can do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, October 20th, and we are up to episode 77, I believe, and uh, we're going to try to make today an interesting one. If you've tuned in today to hear about how to store your food, how to keep your potter dry or something like that, i uh, got bad news for you. We'll have a little bit of a political discussion today. The good news that I have for you is we're going to have a different kind of political discussion. What I mean by different kind of political discussion is I'm going to talk to you about the upcoming election in a way that I guarantee you nobody in the mainstream media is talking about. I'm going to talk to you about how we are our own worst enemy, or we are our biggest weakness. I'm not sure exactly which one's going to get the title of this uh, on the blog post for it or the uh, the iTunes version of this podcast yet, but that's going to be the gist of this. But you and I, and when I say you and I, I mean all of us, and including us in this more informed, more enlightened world of the survivalist mindset, even us to a degree, I uh, have to accept and, 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 and assign some of the blame. I think we get less of it, but... Uh, I think that everybody gets quite a bit. And before I really go into this today, I need to uh, expose you guys to something. And I, I want to explain that what you're about to hear is not going to make things look really good for Barack Obama. But before I do this, I have to I have to clarify that this will not be a Let's Elect John McCain podcast. We're not going to be talking about how great McCain is. What we're actually going to talk about today is why we're down to these two people as supposedly the best that we could get out of either party, out of anywhere in the United States, what the role of the president is supposed to be, and how the citizenry of our nation has assigned powers to the president that he doesn't have, doesn't assign responsibility to the people that should be held accountable for what they're doing, namely the Senate and the Congress, and uh, you're not going to hear a real positive view of Republicans or Democrats. And when I say Republicans or Democrats, there I do not mean a positive view or negative view of the people uh, that make up the parties that do the voting. I'm going to be talking about the people uh, mainly that go out and run for elected office and are serving in these high offices across our country. Uh, the people are going to get their own criticism, and that's going to maybe, maybe hit a few of you between the eyes a little bit in certain instances. I don't think it's going to hit you as hard as it's going to hit you know maybe some others that might get this because somebody recommends it to them. Uh, if you're a regular listener to the show, you're probably a lot more informed. But I think it may even hit my regular listeners a little bit, and that's a responsibility that I guess I have to take on to myself. Uh, so right now I'm going to pause, and what you're about to hear is a group of people questioned by a reporter that works for Howard Stern. And I know Howard Stern is is not the bastion of conservative or liberal wisdom. Uh, he's pretty much a purveyor of smut. But I will, to quote Richard Bach in Illusions, uh, quote the truth wherever I find it, and nothing could be more true or make a better point than what you're about to hear. You're about to hear one of his people questioning people in Harlem 
about why they're voting for Barack Obama, and I'll let Howard explain the bit. So we'll just pause for a second. I'll splice this in. He went up to Harlem to ask people who they were going to vote for, and uh, most people said Barack Obama. So what he said is, do you still do you support Obama's views? But he, he attributed all of McCain's views to yes. Obama. Yes, and, and it didn't it cause didn't sway even, anyone. But it didn't cause people to even flinch. They no. went right along. This is crazy. So listen to this. Some people speculate that blacks are voting for Obama strictly because he's black and not because of his policies. So we took McCain's policies and pretended they were Obama's. This is what they had to say. For the election, Obama or McCain? I like Obama. Now, what don't you like about McCain? McCain seems to not really know what he's doing right now. Are you more for Obama's policy because he's pro-life or because he thinks our troops should stay in Iraq and finish this war? I think because our troops should stay in Iraq and finish this war. I'm really for him with that. Definitely. Okay. Now, how about as far as um, him being pro-life? Do you support Obama in that case? Yeah, I do. I do. I support him in that case. And if he wins, would you have any problem with Sarah Palin being vice president? No, I would. Not, Not at all. all. Not so at you, th you, you, you think he made the right choice in that? I definitely do. Thank you very much, sir. Thank have you. a great day. So the guy agreed with everything McCain is for, except he said it was for Obama. <laughs> Here's another example. Are you for Obama or McCain? Obama. Okay, and why not McCain? Well, I just don't agree with some of his, you know, policies, no. Now, Obama says that he's anti-stem cell research. How do you feel about that? I, I believe that's... I wouldn't do that either. And I'm anti-stem cell, yeah. You are, yeah, anti-stem cell research. Now, if Obama wins, do you mind Sarah Palin being vice president? No, no, I don't. There you go. And then our third example, which uh, we found this woman. In this election, Obama or McCain? Obama. Now, why not McCain? What don't you like about him? Um, he sort of doesn't sound like he has enough. Like he does, he's not he's uneducated because when he had the um, they had the both of the presidents speaking. Um, he didn't sound like he knew what he was talking about too much. Whereas Obama had facts and information when he was speaking. Good point. Let me ask you this. Do you support Obama more because he's pro-life or because he says our troops should stay in Iraq and finish the war? Um, I guess both. Now, if Obama wins, do you have any problem with Sarah Palin being his vice president? Um, no. No? Not you think she'll do a good job? I think she'll do a good job. Are you glad he elected her to be the VP if he wins? Yep. Thank you very much. All right, there it is, Sal in Harlem. And, uh... Now... In the interest of being completely fair here, I want to point something out. I did go on YouTube and find a few versions of this, and this one that was sent to me, all nicely prepared for me to use, and it's the one I'm going to use because of that, and it's also not too long, um, does just show three complete idiots uh, who are supporting Barack Obama. If you, And I'll link to the whole thing if you want to hear it from the post at thesurvivalpodcast.com. They did find a guy that said he was voting for McCain. And this reporter, whoever he is, I don't listen to Stern, so I don't know if this is one of his regular guys or somebody else or what have you, but this guy uh, was quick as a whip on this, and he switched his tactics. And he started saying, are you more for McCain because he wants to pull us out of Iraq uh, or because he, he's for a woman's right to choose or something like that? So he basically flip-flopped the whole thing and started taking the McCain supporter and giving him Barack Obama's position, and it was the same thing. It played out the same way. Alright, so what, we, what we've seen, at least in Harlem, New York, we have a, you know, if you just saw the average person on the street, ask them who they're voting for, they definitely have an opinion. You ask them why, they have no freaking idea. 
And I think this has been, for a lot of people that are really annoyed with the Obama campaign and really opposed Barack Obama, this has been one of our biggest problems since the very first days of the Barack Obama campaign. Most of his supporters have no idea at all why they support him, or they have this high-level idea of why they support him with no substance as to what it's going to cost, what the ramifications will be, and how it's going to turn out. And what I mean by that is, let's say you say, well, why are you for Barack Obama? And this person actually does pay attention. They usually say something like, well, he's for universal health care, and I think that every citizen of the United States should be able to get health care, and I know somebody or I myself have had this problem with health insurance, and it's criminal the way the insurance companies treat us, and we need the government to do something about the problem. Great. Then you say, well, what's he going to do to make this happen? And you get silence. Or you get, like, an explanation that if you know what the guy's plan is, has absolutely nothing to do with how he's going to do it. And that's been our big issue. But I would say that a lot of McCain supporters are probably in the same boat. You say, well, what's John McCain want to do um, that you're in favor of? And they'll say, well, he's for, uh, you know, a lot of the evangelicals will say, well, he's for the right right to life. Okay, that's a pretty cut and dry issue, okay? We, we'll give you that one. Now, can we, you know, given that that decision is made more by the Supreme Court than anybody else, given that we've had a 30-year history of that law not really changing, given that we have Democrats in the Senate and the House, and that's not going to be anything that's even going to get close to occurring during a McCain uh, presidency with that type of control and that stranglehold, uh, and that issue is really moot at this point because it's not going to come up. Why else do you support John McCain? The crickets, you know. Now, some people will stand up and say, well, he's pro-Second Amendment. i got to give the guy that, okay? you got a Democrat House and Senate. They may shove something up the pipe for gun control. He probably would veto it, but I, you know, the NRA gives McCain an A, I think, in uh, in gun control or, or you know, Second Amendment politics. I, I think I'd put him more about a B. He's been wavering at occasion on us. You know, he is in spirit a supporter of the Second Amendment, but he's not a diehard. Palin seems to be, but she's not going to be president. She'll be vice president, and McCain's not going to win. So I, all I'm trying to do is make the point here that people are tending to vote for their presidential candidates more out of dislike for the opposition and more out of the negative stereotype of the opposition than they are for the positive aspects of their own candidate. It was really hard to find a McCain supporter in the mainstream public on the Republican conservative side of the electorate Prior to his selection of Sarah Palin, I want you to, if you are for McCain right now, I want to ask, I want you to ask yourself a question. Were you really for McCain around July 31 of this year? Were you, were you, were you, were you on the bandwagon with him? You probably weren't. I wasn't. The only thing that's given me any hope at all has been this selection of a VP. But I think what we need to do now is we need to start looking at and accept the reality that's on the ground. The reality on the ground is we're probably in store for a Barack Obama presidency. And we probably need to prepare for what that's going to mean from an economic standpoint. If you're going to support Barack Obama, you probably need to prepare to not get some of the things that you think you're going to get. Number one, 
prepare not to get universal health care coverage in the next four years under Barack Obama because we no longer have the money for it because the country is bankrupt. So all your promises are out the window. Uh, do not prepare under Barack Obama for our troops to come home because they're going to come out of Iraq and they're going to come out of Iraq anyway. Okay, This is a staged uh, effort to make Barack appear like he's taking care of those of you who are opposed to foreign wars. But what are our troops going to do as they leave Iraq? They're going to go to Afghanistan and they're not going to come out at the rate that Barack Obama chooses because we're so close to victory that even even he will not screw it up, and he'll follow the advice of his commanders on the ground, and he'll withdraw at the level they tell him to, and we are going to escalate the war in Afghanistan. At least you think I'm shilling for McCain. You better prepare for the same thing if McCain is a dark horse now, turns this thing around and pulls it out, because he's going to do the exact same thing. It's time for us to go and escalate the war in Afghanistan. That is what's going to happen. I'm not saying we should, because I don't think we should, but we're going to. Now, this is what I've been hearing from Obama supporters. Well, there's no oil in Afghanistan. We went to Iraq for oil, so Bush and his buddies could get rich with Halliburton. Okay, I, I, folks, again, i got to kill this one. i got to kill this for you, and I'm going to kill it the easiest way I know how. The government of Iraq was not friendly to the United States prior to our invasion. But they were friendlier to us, believe it or not, than at least one government out there. That would be the government of Iran. All right, Iran, where they burn effigies of U.S. citizens and our flag almost daily in their their capital square. Okay, Iran, where the chant "Death to America" rings out on a daily basis. Iran, Iran hates us. And as we look toward Iran militarily, people are going, see, they're doing it again. They're trying to make money. Let me tell you something right now. Halliburton, today, right now, this second, makes more money in Iran today, right now, than they make in Iraq, right now. Iran employs Halliburton this very day. They are on the ground in Iran helping them with the extraction of their oil because whether you like them or not, when it comes to getting oil out of the ground, and setting up the systems that need to be set up, and, and shepherding all these things, and handling logistics, Halliburton is the best in the world at it. I'm not chilling for Halliburton. That's the reality, though. If you want it done, there are guys to get it done. The Iranians aren't stupid. We are making bukus, billions on oil in Iran right now. All right, and that kind of takes this little sail out of Iraq. All right, we could have made just as much money in Iraq with oil if we wanted to. All right, Because as much as Saddam Hussein was against the U.S., he was more for staying in power than anything else. So if we wanted to play the whole pop-up-the-puppet-puppet dictator, um, we could have, which is exactly what we, we have all our rhetoric, but it's exactly what we're doing in Iran. Why do you think they let our U.S. corporations into Iran to make all of this money? All right? So, again, you just start to look at this and go, what? the hell is going on then? Why are we going to go into Afghanistan and escalate that war? Because we're not making money on the Iraq war with oil. The Defense Department and its little military-industrial complex that numbers about $800 billion a year now is where the money is being made. All right, The money is being made by taking it away from you, the taxpayer, and spending it with Lockheed Martin. Okay? With Boeing, 
with all these companies that manufacture all these weapon systems. In other words, these wars are about creating a need so that it can be filled and sell weapons to ourselves. To spend our money on buying weapon systems. To the tune of our country now spending more money on defense than any than all the other countries in the world combined. All right? And that, that is almost mind staggering, where i got to say it again. If you take every country's military budget in the world, every country, from the Chinese, all right, down to like the Belgians, right, down to Vatican City, right, if you take every country and you combine all their military budgets, the United States outspends the rest of the world combined. And you got to sit and you got to ask yourself, how much military power do we really need? How much military force do we really need to defend our nation and ensure commerce for our people? How much do we really need? And it's not us against the world, supposedly, so why are we spending like it is? Why are we doing this? Well, because it makes a bunch of money for people. All right, because it makes a bunch of money for the, for the military-industrial complex. But remember, I've already taught you how the Federal Reserve System works here. And if you, you don't know that, you go back and listen to my shows on it. But basically, the Federal Reserve is a private organization. It prints money at will. Every time it prints a dollar, it's loaning it, not giving it to the United States. So every dollar that's issued creates more debt. Every dollar in your pocket is a certificate of debt back to the Federal Reserve for, on average, about a dollar and two cents. All right? We can't get out of that. If nobody owed anybody anything in the United States, there'd be no money left under the current fractional reserve system that we have. That's just reality. So how does all this play into us being our own worst enemy? It's that the average person has no idea about any of this. All right? They don't get this. They don't realize that if Barack Obama pulls the troops out of Iraq and puts them in Afghanistan, that everybody still that's, that's, that's making the real back-end money on this thing, all the shadow stuff, just keeps running right along. They don't understand that Afghanistan is more likely to turn into a Vietnam as we were warned that Iraq would. That we could have wiped up the Iraq war in two and a half years if we did it the right way, if we did it the way we did it in the end. The only reason we put the surge up when we did isn't because John McCain fought for it. It's because people were getting tired of the war and we had to do something. We had to put it to bed. People were waning in their support. They were stopped following the little shiny ball and even the most diehard patriotic, red-blooded American, we're going to go kick some ass, was going, uh, yeah, we're not real sure about this thing anymore. Uh, we got our guys dying, and you guys don't really seem to be doing anything. Those people don't seem to really want what we're offering, and why is my kid over there risking his life? And so they had to put this thing to bed. So now they need a new place to go, so everybody's looking at Afghanistan. Clinton said she wanted to go to Afghanistan and finish the real war. Obama said he wants to go to Afghanistan and get Osama bin Laden and finish the real war. And John McCain has basically said the same thing other than, I want to make sure we're done in Iraq, which is going to happen anyway. All of this, again, is just a misdirection that allows us to work against ourselves. Because now I'm going to get into the meat of why, why all this happens, why all this matters, and how people are just idiots, as we heard in the little Howard Stern bit. People do not understand that the president should not be elected for what he wants to get done or what he can get done. 
All right. The president actually has a very limited amount of power in what he can do unless he chooses to exercise what's known as an executive order. That's where he just signs something in the law, and then Congress and the Senate have to act to remove it. Now, as long as you have a, a, a Congress and a Senate that are highly to the Democratic side, a Republican president is going to exercise very little executive order power because it's embarrassing and damaging to his administration when they're turned over. And vice versa. Democratic president, i.e. Bill Clinton, Republican Senate and Congress, all right, going to exercise very little of that executive. I'm just going to sign something into law authority. And most of the executive orders are things that don't directly affect them, the average American, and they're not debated hotly in public because it's the only way they can get through without it totally destroying the credibility of the office of the presidency. So what does the president mostly do? Well, he appoints people to go serve on the Supreme Court, as we're always told how important that is, but none of them get there without being approved by the Congress and the Senate. All right? And either side, even the minority, can shut that process down, as we saw the Democrats do during a lot of Bush's nominees. So our Republican Congress and Senate uh, people, even if they're down to 25%, can probably still shut that process down if they want to. So that doesn't really mean as much as we're told it means. So the one major thing that the president can do is the veto. And just a little, you know, Civics 101 here. When a law gets passed through proper channels, it goes to the House and the Senate has to get a clear majority in each, a 51% majority in each as a bill. So we're going to propose a new law that says that everybody gets universal health care, where the money's going to come from, how it's going to work, defines everything. That gets done. That gets passed by the Congress and the Senate. It gets sent to the president's desk. The president has th- three choices. Sign it into law. It becomes law when he signs it under the provisions of the law. Okay? Two is to veto it, which says, I disapprove of this, and I am canceling it out, and he sends it back. It can then be overturned by a two-thirds majority, which is difficult to do after a presidential veto, even often when you had it before, because everybody's trying to keep their job. That's the system of checks and balances at work. Three is, he can be a coward and say, I'm not really for this, but I know my veto is going to be overrode. So I'm not going to do anything, and after a certain number of days, I think it's 100 days, it becomes law on its own. All right? So that's really the main power that a president has. So when we look at electing a president, the biggest thing we should be looking at is what will he prevent, not what is he for. And I can illustrate that very clearly. Bill Clinton was for universal health care. We didn't get it. George Bush was for privatization of the Social Security system. We didn't get it. All right? Why? Why were neither president able to get those things done? Bush had a majority of Republicans to work with to get this done, and he couldn't get it done? Shut down by the Democrats. A clear majority in the House and Senate alone does not equal total control. Our system of government doesn't work that way. All right? Clinton, in the beginning, had a majority of Democrats. He didn't get it done either. Why? Because a president doesn't have as much power to get things done as people assigned to him. Now, what could have happened is if Bush was against, okay, if Bush was against universal health care, and the Democrats that took over the House and Senate two years ago passed a law like Obama wants and sent it to him, Bush could veto it. Say, this is bad for the country, I'm vetoing it, you want to override it, you want to eat the consequences, go ahead and do it. Right? Clinton could have had a bill come up to him 
uh, for privatization of Social Security and said, I don't like this, and vetoed it. It would have been up to him whether he was willing to do that or not. Politically, stick your neck out. All right, Be a leader. Be the president. That's really what they can do more than what they can't do. Unfortunately, what we have is we have a bunch of people running around that, that stick their finger up in the wind once in a while and go, oh, my 401k's down. President sucks. My 401k's up. President's good. Uh, I went to the doctor and got health care. Uh, the president's good. I went to the doctor and had to wait in line for four hours. It's the president's fault. This is the way that our country is dealing with the situation today. Everybody looks at it and goes, okay, the president's the boss. He's the guy in charge. Highest office in the land. Head of the most powerful country in the world. I live here. If my temperature in my pool isn't right, it's his fault. That's why we're our own worst enemy. We're our own worst enemy because we're idiots and we sit around and wait till November to vote. We're uninformed as a whole. How many people really vote in the primaries? Right? How in the hell did we end up with John McCain, seriously, as the Republican nominee for president? Let's look, I mean, obviously my choice would have been Ron Paul. Let's push Ron out because he was very radical. If we just wanted to say, of the Republican nominees, who was best qualified to lead this country when we all knew that we had economic problems on the way? Because during the Republican primary, the stock market might have still been up, but anybody with, you know, they could add one plus one and see it equal two and go two minus three is negative one, when, yeah, our economy's in deep shit. Mitt Romney's a better guy for the economy. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Mitt Romney, but he's a hell of a lot better of a candidate if you want to win the election than John McCain. He's a hell of a lot more to the party's core base than John McCain. He's a hell of a lot more of a conservative with John McCain, but we end up with John McCain. It almost doesn't even make sense. All right? It's like throwing in the towel to put John McCain up. All right? Then McCain uses his brain, picks an outsider like Palin, and now he keeps her under a rug. Right? If McCain would parade this, this person out at every opportunity, put her in front of the media, put her in front of the press, get her message out, introduce America to Sarah Palin, he might swing the election. This is not an endorsement of Sarah Palin. I'm talking as a tactician here. Right? I'm talking the way that the American people can be easily led to either side. you got to look at this and go, the Republican leadership has decided that we do not want the presidency. That's the only conclusion that I can come to. And we're going to hand the presidency over to the Democrats. We know they're going to have the House. We know they're going to have the Senate. And we know the next four years are going to suck and suck big time. And we're going to let them have all the blame. That's the only way that I can see this thing uh, playing itself out here. It doesn't make any sense any other way. Now, turning to the Democrat side, i got to tell you, it wasn't a stable of people out there that really made me feel good about it. But then again, I'm a conservative. That said, the person, and this almost hurts me to say this, but the person with the real chance to put away the election and do the best job on the Democrat side was probably Hillary Clinton. Because Hillary would have had Bill in her right ear all the time, and Bill Clinton tactically was a very good president. Tactically. All right. As far as, you know, he went through things that if it would have been anybody else, would have had him thrown out of office, and he got through it. I'm not admiring I'm just telling you the way that it is. And he did a fairly decent job with the economy. He did it basically the same way that Bush did. He just knew that the consequences of it were a long way off. And the man's basically admitted that now. 
I think that they would have been better as a team fit to lead our country than Barack Obama. They're definitely less radical. All right, We did get the assault weapons ban under the Clintons. To me, that was a bone that was thrown to the gun control advocates to make them go away. That's why I had a sunset date on it, and it eventually went away. It might be the best thing that's ever happened to people that are pro-Second Amendment was that ban. Because it came into place, everybody said the ban will play, and we'll see now how people have machine guns that are killing everybody. Oh my God, no. And then nothing happened. It didn't make one dent on the crime scene. All right, it had nothing to do with anything. And then it went away, and it came back, and everybody went, oh, God, the world is going to end now. Everybody's going to have an AK and shooting at it, and nothing happened. Right? So we've seen a law that was supposed to be the salvation of mankind come and go, and nothing really happened on either side of it. Right? But the American people are asleep at the switch. They don't see this. What the big problem is, and this is why we are our own biggest enemy, is that we believe... We believe, as a populace, that it's up to the government to solve our problems. That we expect the government to solve our problems. And you might be sitting there screaming at your MP3 player or your computer or however you listen to me right now, your car stereo if you plug me into that, and going, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't. Well, yeah, you don't. But most Americans do. And I've had this conversation with enough people to know it now. That, that, that they believe that the government's purpose is to, to solve problems. And when you say, no, it's not. The government's purpose is to do as little as possible and get out of your way. The first thing they say to you is, well, why are they there then? Well, they're supposed to be there to uphold the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. To ensure commerce. To provide for the common defense. To promote the general welfare of the people. In other words, to make sure that anybody that wants to take a shot has it. Anybody that doesn't want to take a shot deals with the consequences. And that where there are rights, there are responsibilities. In other words, if you want the right to do drugs, you want us to remove the law on drugs. I'm a libertarian. Go do all the drugs you want. Go ahead. Go nuts. Shoot, shoot heroin, smoke crack, do marijuana. Don't rob my TV to pay for it. Don't bother other people. Stay out of the neighborhoods of people to keep their neighborhoods clean. Right? Figure out how to provide for your existence without stealing so we don't put you in jail for theft or burglary or any of these other things. Don't you dare sell it to, to minors because I'll put you in jail for the rest of my life, for the rest of your life, if I had the authority to do so. But go ahead. But when you end up with diseases, don't ask society to pay for them. Don't think you're getting universal health care for the hepatitis you gave yourself shooting up with needles. Don't think you're getting universal health care for AIDS, right? But the American people don't think that way. They say, look at this guy, this poor guy laying in the street. If he just had a chance, he had a chance. He had the same chance you did. But this is our weakness. This is where we are the weakest. We have the wrong point to our compassion. Our compassion is directed in the wrong place. Instead of looking at the guy that's actually doing it, that's actually succeeding, that's building a small business and hiring people, that goes to work every day and pays his bill and having compassion for them, the American people as a whole are directing their compassion to the people that are the most useless in society, that are drains on society, that live on welfare, that make a career out of going to work for six months and drawing unemployment for six months. Okay? That's the type of person that we're directing our compassion toward. And it's killing us. It's absolutely killing us. So, let me go ahead and wrap today's show up. Because today's show is just to make you think, to challenge what you believe, and to make you realize that you can't select a candidate 
and get anything good out of it simply by tearing his opponent down. Because I'm sick and tired of all these people and all these forums and blogs, even on my own forum. Well, you, know, you put something negative up about Barack and go, well, McCain did this. McCain was part of the Keating Five. You put something up against uh, uh, McCain and you're like, well, Bar- Barack Obama, uh, he, 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 he had this, this, this William Ayers guy in his back pocket, this terrorist. And both of those are true. What the hell does it have to do with the other guy, though? All right, basically what we're saying is, okay, both of these guys suck. Your own supporters know you suck. And the only way they can make you look good is by pointing out how much more the other guy sucks. And as long as we're into this, we're going to deal with it. So what do you, the guy that's above this, the woman that's above this, the person that understands this intrinsically, looks around at you and gets angry, the person that when I played that clip from Howard Stern was going, you idiot! What do we do? Well, we have to accept the reality right now that America's not ready to wake up yet. That maybe this disaster that we're about to go in for might start waking people up, and it might not. Either way, we have to prepare to live the best life we can if times get tough, or even if they don't. And this time we have to look at it and go, times are going to get tough. Times are going to get really tough because we're going to have a socialist at the head of the, of the most capitalist economy in the world who's going to destroy our economy. He's going to be aided in this by a largely controlled by the Democrat House and Senate. This is what's most likely to occur. This is what you need to prepare for right now. Don't hold out hope that McCain's going to win because he's not going to chase it that much if he doesn't. It ain't going to happen. Barack is pulling away in the polls no matter what anybody tells you and trying to tell you this race is tight. That's just the media keeping Barack's supporters from not showing up because they think they got it in the bag. All right? What is going to happen is we have fundamental flaws in our economy right now. Big time. We have a derivative bubble that hasn't broken yet. All right? All these bailout plans are going to keep this derivative bubble from breaking. This is not a billion-dollar problem. This is a quadrillion-dollar problem. That number is hard to even get your heads around. But basically, the entire world banking system is completely bankrupt. And they're at a point now where the only way out of it is hyperinflation for the entire globe. By all of them pumping money into their economies is what they're doing right now. Into this is going to come a man that's going to raise taxes. And a body of government that's going to aid him in the raising of taxes. Don't be fooled into the class warfare. When a rich man's taxes go up, he lays you off. So we're going to see the unemployment rate rise. And yeah, you might be getting a tax break if you make under $250,000 a year, but it won't do you any good when a lot of people that are in that classification lose their jobs and are now sitting on unemployment and they can't pay their bills with it. We're going to see a downward spiral of the economy for at least the next two to three years. With the Barack Obama presidency, it may be longer. With the John McCain presidency, it may be longer. We need to prepare for the same things either way. So what do we do? We go back to fundamental metals and basics. Understand that as we are addicted to this uh, concept of biofuels, food is going to continue to rise in price. Right now we're seeing a temporary slowdown. That's only until inflation kicks in. While food is low, buy it, store it. All right? Buy it, store it, take part in our five-item challenge on our forum. All right? Put as much money as you can away right now. Invest the majority of it in the safest investments you can find with a decent return. Look at ING Direct. They were paying 4% not long ago, and with all these rate cuts, they're down to 2.75. Your bank's probably paying 0.2. All right? So it's still a lot better. I think they have a six-month CD at like 3.5 and a one-year at like 4. All right, so that's a good, safe place for your money. Save as much money as you can in investments like that. Look to bonds, solid guaranteed bonds. Short term where you can get your money back if you need it. Start saving money. 
Three, adjust your lifestyle. Continue to adjust what you need to survive down. Start looking for that retreat property that can become your permanent residence eventually. Find the best deal you can and throw money into the mortgage. All right, Throw money into improvements and enhancements. Figure out how you can work remotely in a position where you provide a very high return on your of investment for your employer. A lot of people go to work every day and they just hold a desk down. If that's you, you better figure out how to become extremely valuable to that employer if you plan on staying there or how to develop a skill set where you're going to be extremely valuable to somebody somewhere and free yourself from the desk and free yourself from the commute. All right? That's the basic plan that I'm on right now. The only reason I commute every day is because I'm running a company. In fact, I'm helping to run several others. And I have a stake in those companies. If I were a working guy, just a regular old working stiff right now, I'd be at home. I'd be doing this podcast every morning before I fired up my computer and started working on my work for the day. All right? I would figure out how to get that done. And that's something I suggest unless you're building a company. You do the same thing. Figure out how to work remotely. Go to your community colleges. Take some courses in some highly desirable skill sets. Learn to think, act, and be the type of person that people are willing to pay for your skill sets. Harness those skill sets. Start doing a little bit of moonlighting with them first to build up a client base and eventually move into a situation where you don't either need or choose to keep your employment. Move yourself out remotely. Find a place with low property taxes. It's one of the biggest uh, things that are eating away at the wealth of Americans today. I'm paying more in property taxes where I live in Arlington than I used to pay in rent when I had an apartment just 10 years or 10, 15 years ago, I guess now. All right? That's, that's pulling away my wealth by living there. It's what I choose to do for the time being. But I have a plan to go to a place where my property taxes annually are under $400. All right? That's the kind of mindset that you need to be getting yourself into. You need to figure out, basically, how to have a poverty-level income and have everything that you want. And then everything that you have above that poverty-level income is designed to build you more of what you want or be saved, not to be disposed of. We have to stop thinking the mentality of, I'm just going to lease my car because I buy a new one every two years anyway. All right. That I'm always going to be moving into a bigger house, and that my income's always going to be going up. The real solution to this problem is to get into a situation where you need as little income as possible, and then to make just enough to keep your taxes low. Because what's happening is people that are successful in this country are being punished more and more for their success. And I believe that the average family can build a sustainable lifestyle on a $50,000 a year income, which doesn't take that much. And if you live in a place where that's impossible, you might be thinking, I'm crazy. There's places where it can be done, and there's ways in which it can be done. All right, And there's, there's things that can be done to enhance that, like barter. You, know, you have to ask yourself, if you didn't have a car payment or two car payments, if you didn't have an insurance payment on your house of you know $2,000 a year because of where you live, if you weren't paying in property taxes more than many people pay for rent, if you didn't have the big principal and interest payment that go with that because you bought a rural property somewhere at a lower cost, how much of your money would you really need that you make as income right now? How much of that money do you spend simply so the government doesn't get it? I think a lot of people don't realize this. When you cross a $100,000 income barrier, you start looking, well, can I buy another house? 
Yeah, I'll buy another house because that way I can deduct the interest payments on it. At least they get it instead of the government. All right, so th- these are the things that we need to start thinking about. But what we really need to realize here, if we're going to be successful as a people in taking our country back, is that we're going to have to start showing up to vote in March instead of November. We're going to have to start, if you're a Republican and you're not willing to vote for a Democrat, then you better start putting some better Republicans in office. All right? And we have to start getting informed. And we have to prepare for the fact that most people are not going to be informed anytime soon. And we need to set up the lifestyle that is commensurate with dealing with the stupidity that's going to be handed to us. And then our only hope is to hope that this stupidity pushes into such a depth that a leader arises that actually can help put the country back on course. We had one this year in Ron Paul. The people turned away from him. And what I want you to realize is, regardless of which one of these guys we get for president, it's going to be a disaster. And overall, it's exactly what the majority of the American people deserve. Because it's what they've chosen. And that's how our system of government works. And it's why, until we make this change of becoming informed and active, we'll continue to be our own biggest weakness. And until our young people get off the entitlement mentality, we'll continue to be our own biggest weakness. That doesn't matter. The people that are pulling us down do not have to pull you down. You can still have the life you want. Again, this has been Jack Spirit going with the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.